The Athletic. I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks, and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on the Athletic app. football show today england walk all over sweden with their heels nation bleary-eyed after wild night with russos for once that's not a boris johnson story and into the final of the lionesses go but against germany and their pop star can england be number one we'll look ahead to that meantime hello halfway legitimate fixture cosplaying as a proper game because it's been a long wait since last season the community shield is with us on saturday at the king power of course We'll check on that and the Football League, which gets going on Friday with company at Burnley, Derby in League One and many other intriguing stories. Lots to come then in today's Totally Football Show. Thursday 28th of July, listener, and a big hello to you and a big hello as well to Duncan Alexander, Matt Davis-Adams, and joining us on the show for the first time, kind of, in a, you know, as a starter, Tim Spears. Hey, Tim. Hey, guys. Tim, you you, you were on the other day uh, covering the Rebecca Vardy libel case. It's been a summer of very big, important news, and uh, we're, nice. uh, we're waiting for the verdict to come in, aren't we? Uh, are we? Yeah, I was going to ask that, actually. Tim, also a listener, as you may know, has just marked the end of seven years on the Wolves beat, on the Wolverhampton watch. Crikey! Yeah, finished in uh, finished in May um, right. without knowing the location for Wolves' next preseason tour, which was which was Benidorm last week. Oh, um, so if I'd have known that, I might have, might have stayed on for another few weeks. Or not? You got out just <laughs> in time, according to Matt Davis Adams, who reckons that Wolves are going down. This struggle season. struggle was the word I used. I've got going down written here. Okay. Matt. And you've got right. form for this as well, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, Wolves are the new Bournemouth. Um, I bet Tim Saddy missed the, the Battle of Benidorm as well last week. I mean, is that, a, is that a sign of things to come? That maybe it's all getting a little bit tetchy? Mr. Battle, largest um, lads. Mr. Special 2am screening of Star Wars somewhere on the on the Benidorm strip, uh, which I know a couple of people attended. For, for the uninitiated, I wouldn't mm. Google what that is. Um, it's a very particular um, version of Star Wars. Oh, with puppets or something? Um, there might, um, so, so, some kind of some definitely socks involved, maybe, but but I don't know about puppets. Right, so sort of hand implement. Crikey, Tim! I'm not. I wasn't aware of that. Nor indeed had I been across the Battle of Benidorm. Should I be? Can I Google that? Yeah, Wolves played Levante. Um, it was a second string Wolves team, I think, and there were two red cards for them in the first half and two red cards for Levante. Just before half time, a couple of dust ups, and um, the curious thing about this was the referee decided that for the second half, uh, both teams could play with eleven. Right. <laughs> so uh, the Reds were basically um, wiped out. So it feels like a pretty futile exercise all round, really. Excellent. All right, I'm glad I'm up to speed on that. Uh, good. We've only got eight days before the Premier League returns. Everybody, we've got the Football League starting um, on Friday. Duncan, who have Wickham got? Burton, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's Burton to give them their official name uh, on Saturday. Good Lord. And 
on Sunday. We've got the Women's Euro final. Boom. Shall we start with a look ahead to that? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Walsh finding Kirby. Yeah, some wonderful sounds there from Tuesday night. We would have gone with Sweet Caroline. Couldn't license it, unfortunately. But uh, still, what memories. What memories, Matt. England smashing Sweden 4-0, 5-0, really, if you count the little girl dancing to the Neil Diamond classic. I know I do. And now England are in the final against Germany. Germany, who on Wednesday night beat France 2-1. Good Lord, 56 years and a day from another England-Germany final at Wembley. Mm-hmm. And just 12 months since uh, England were in the men's final there. And uh, also coming off a semi-final win over a Scandinavian side, which sparked a week of euphoric celebrations. It didn't end well a year ago. This time, though, Matt, with this England team, the prospects look very different. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, Germany look pretty decent themselves too, don't they? It's, it's, it's good to have what are quite clearly the best two teams in the final. I think most goals, most clean sheets and, and the two look the most impressive on the pitch. But it's so difficult to call, isn't it? You know, you watched England dismantle Sweden and thought nobody can stop them. But Germany, just utterly ruthless. And, and even when there's a bit of adversity for them, like there was in their game against France, when they conceded pretty quickly after taking the lead, you kind of always felt that they were more likely to um, to go on and win it. And in, and in pop, they've got one of the stories of the tournament and quite a nice story. And there's been so much time spent on Alexia Piteas and um, Katoto for France, having uh, missed the tournament. Katoto played a little bit, but getting serious knee injuries. You've got you've got Pop, who didn't play for 10 months because of something similar and didn't even start in the first game, only got in because Leah Shula got COVID. And now she's she scored in every match and she has a straight shootout with her and Beth Mead to, to determine who's going to get the golden boot, which is a, a nice secondary story to the final itself, which ought to be Amazing. And, you know, nice for, for Wembley that you'd imagine Wembley Way won't be stacked with people putting fireworks up their bum and that kind of thing on on Sunday. So possibly a bit mm. of redemption for a, for a Euros final at Wembley too. Possibly. Let's see. Tuesday night, though. What an extraordinary, what an extraordinarily emotional occasion that was. Uh, close to, I think, 10 million people watching at home. Others were in box parks throughout the nation. Like you, Tim, you were at Wembley Box Park. Rare, I'm going to suggest, to have a night when so much tension transforms so utterly into so much triumph. It was a really interesting way to watch football, actually. I've not watched a, a women's game in, in, in sort of a, a pub or a bar before, but um, yeah, there, there were hundreds of people there at Box Park Wembley. It was basically packed, just like it was, you know, for every England game last summer. Um Barry from EastEnders, thankfully not among their number. Um, he does tend to frequent these things these days. But it was I was working on this occasion, but I went to Box Park to watch a couple of England games last summer, including the Denmark semi-final. It's just such a wildly contrasting experience, you know, watching the men's and women's teams. Um, I mean, it was it was utter carnage last year, and you know, occasionally that can be quite fun. But you know, you're getting pints thrown in your face and everyone's just constantly singing about Scotland getting battered and, you know. What about the men's evenings? About the (laughs) (laughs) occasional um, songs about the Second World War and, you know, all this kind of misplaced machismo. And so, yeah, it was was lovely. Everybody just sort of sat and watched the game. It was a very different crowd, lots of families, lots of young girls. 
everyone very engaged. The Na- Sweden national anthem wasn't booed, mm. which 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 felt very sort of d- disconcerting. In fact, the only time it threatened to kick off was when some Sweden fans were shown on the big screen. I think it was after about seventy minutes, and uh, there was a couple of sarcastic cheers for, for, from the back of the room, and that, that was about as rowdy as it got, really. So it, it kind of made me wonder, you know, is is this what watching football was like in the nineteenth century? You know, before everyone became so snide and tribal about the opposition, it was just hundreds of people just sat enjoying a football game, really. But no, it, it was it was lovely. It was very wholesome, and yeah, you got the whole sweet Caroline and three lines nonsense but then at, at the end of the night you know you've got um a young group of teenage girls sort of walking out into Wembley way singing Russo's name and it was um no it, it was it was lovely a very joyous occasion brilliant what, what a what a performance by England as I say after a shaky start Beth Mead who opened the scoring shortly after the half hour and then a, a second half with the uh, Lucy Bronze's header and then the Russo back heel and the Kirby chip of, of, of total Dominance. The Russo goal, Duncan, has been the kind of the symbol of of the of the, of the spectacular success. The Kirby Chip was pretty good too. Sasohaino says Russo's goal was great. What's your favourite backheel goal? We'll come to that in a second. Your answer there. But what do you make of the performance? Yeah, I mean, four 0 was slightly flattering. I mean, it wasn't a four 0 game on on chances, and Sweden, you know, dominated the early stages, and you know, could have could have equalised at points and. Yeah, it looks better than it was, but I think we just need to put into context how historically unlikely this this score is. I mean, that's the joint biggest defeat Sweden have ever had in a in a tournament, um, and that's only England's fourth win against them. They've lost fifteen times against Sweden. They really are the sort of one of the superpowers of women's football, and and for England to do that in a semi final is it it was one of those nights. And I think that's why the the Russo back here was so special. Is that it 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 kind of you know, it sears into the mind a moment from a game that is sort of really foundational, I think, for the for the whole sport. And um, mm. yeah, to sort of to not make a keeper with a back heel is yeah, it doesn't get better than that, to be honest. What is your favourite back heel goal? Well, as a man who looks deeper into the uh, the build up to goals, I think I'd still say Guti's back heel to Zidane for that um, in that Real Madrid game where he's where basically Guti's one on one with the keeper and then just back heels it without looking. Is uh, is good, but um, yeah, obviously people have got the Thierry Henry one, but it, that was I'd say slightly more fortunate than the rest. The really? rest of the power was was impressive. There's a Suarez one, Luis Suarez for for mm. Barcelona that is Russo-esque, but a little bit more vicious in, in in its delivery. But for me, it's always Roberto Mancini, Felaccio from the corner against Parma. Matt, Tim, have you got a favourite backhill goal? Um, I think the, the, the correct answer is, is Matty Burrows. <laughs> That's the one I was going for, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Puskas Award nominee, yeah. Describe Tim, if you will. I can't remember who he was playing for now, Matt. Do you remember? Glenn Torren against Porter Down. The big that was one. it, of course. Yeah, just about to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was across from across from the left and sort of a, a flying backheel from, from the edge of the box. Right. Sort of meets it the first time. Mm. Incredible. That's the best technically, but the Russo one is the favourite, surely. I mean, there's not many goals at, you know, our ripe old ages where you think, I've, I've never seen a goal like that scored before. Um, and you get that kind of reaction where you make an involuntary noise. I think she's top of the list. But yeah, the, um, the Matty Burroughs one was pretty special. Robbed by Hamid Altintop for goal of the year back in 2010. 
the um the noise for the for the replay for Russo's goal in Box Park was was quite was quite something. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to recreate it, but no. you can. Well, well, it's sort of like oh, that, you know, <laughs> that, right. that 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 kind of noise. Sound, I don't think anyone yeah. quite realised what happened, but you know, from seeing it from seeing it yeah. live. But then the replays, it was, yeah, just All incredible, right. iconic. Well, among the among the things to delight for England fans on on Tuesday was the fact that going a goal up, then going two goals up. England kept pressing. There was none of the kind of tactical antics we might have seen from their male counterparts of uh, of then kind of withdrawing, withdrawing and, and containing. They realised that two 0 is never a dangerous lead, so they could just pile forward and uh, and go. I mean, I guess the obviously there's calls for for Alessio Rossi to be in the team, but with five subs available, I think um, I think her role as a super sub. Should mm. probably continue. I mean, she's got more sub goals in this tournament than James Beattie managed in 86 substitute appearances in his Premier League career. So, mm. probably says more about James Beattie than uh, than Russell. But I think you, you could imagine an unchanged team for the final. I missed all that because I was just thinking about Sweden torpedo by Russell sub appearance. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> right, Matt. It would be shocking if if Russo did start this game because I mean she's Ellen White. It feels like damning a striker with faint praise, doesn't it? When, she, when you say oh she did a lot of good work for the team, but I think that that is demonstrably true here. You know she she allowed the ball to go through her legs really cleverly for the bronze header, but but her hold up play was really good. And also Russo's getting effectively almost a half of football in these games anyway. She tends to come on like before an hour, doesn't she? So it's it's a classic thing to do to let one striker work the defenders and tire them out and then bring somebody younger and fitter on and let them, let them benefit from it. So I can't see why that would change. And the only potential change we thought for the semi was Greenwood for Daly at left-back, but Daly really answered those critics in this game. She she probably had her best performance of the tournament. So I'd be stunned if there were any um, changes barring any injury or illness. Mm. All right. Well, Sunday will be England's third Euro final. They've never won one. By contrast, their opponents, Germany, it's their ninth Euro final and they've never lost one. Eight wins in their previous eight appearances, including 2009, which was the last time England reached the final, when Die National Elf, there's a headline in that, uh, beat the Lionesses 6-2. Jill Scott was in the England team that day. wonder if she might get off the bench in the final. Right. Uh, Germany, uh, you were talking about before and you were impressed with them on... Wednesday night, when they finally conceded a goal, albeit one that went in off their own keeper. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how physical they are, how they can punish England's lapses perhaps better than the Swedes were able. And of course, Alexandra Pop, the only player to score in every goal at this Euros. Uh, we, we talked up Sweden as being a different level of, of, of challenge for England, and it didn't prove to be the case. But Germany, this is another level again. Yeah, it, it definitely is another level again. And the thing about their squad is that the players are so young, it's frightening. You feel like they could dominate for years and years if they win this game. But they were sort of helped a little bit by France, I think, on, on Wednesday night in the semi-final, and that both the goals were fairly avoidable and not great defending for the first pop getting in front of her marker and, and for the second one they didn't clear the free kick and then it was a, a sort of free run at the header um France missing loads of chances like like they have done throughout the tournament so yeah I mean Germany looked like an excellent team but I think England England can match them they Germany will probably look to do what Sweden did and come out quickly and you know Sweden could have been three nil up effectively um before England scored a goal so it seems like you can rattle England if you if you start quickly but 
it's difficult to make a case for anything other than a really, really tight game that might go all the way, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Hasn't been a penalty shootout yet, has there? Mm. No thanks. At least England know that all Pop's goals come pretty much in exactly the same spot. You could put a picnic blanket over them. I'm not, I'm not recommending that as an effective defensive measure in the game, but um, six <laughs> goals all within the space of a blanket is, is really what sp- what spot is the where is the danger zone for basically Pop? right on the edge of the uh, the six yard box. So um, mm. five from there and one one from a few meters further back near the penalty spot. But um, yeah, she's incredibly dangerous in that position. Mm. Excellent. Well, looking forward to that. It all kicks off on Sunday afternoon at five o'clock. Which means the penalties would be around what seven forty, yeah. If you want to catch those, Russo's extraordinary back heel, probably the second most replayed clip from Tuesday night on the social media because the the young lady dancing to Sweet Caroline, which was nice. But was it just me? And you'll excuse me, my curmudgeonliness. But was it just me feeling like, well, that was a nice moment? But can't we just leave it as a a nice moment when Wednesday rolled around and we had the Germany France game and she got interviewed live in their halftime show. I was like she was, I don't know, Greta Thunberg or, or a royal grandchild or someone really important. I was a bit bit mystified by that. Just trying to wrestle back viral star of the week from you, I think, James. She was. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that she shouldn't be allowed in the final? <laughs> Is that the is that the stance? No, I hope she has a really nice time on on Sunday. But I'm quite happy for her to enjoy it along with all the other tens of thousands of fans, without you know it necessarily becoming a a big thing. But there you go, excellent. All right, well that is Sunday. Of course, before that on Saturday, it's the Community Shield, Liverpool against Man City. I'll have a quick look at that next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Listener, you're wondering how far the Athletic have got with their top 50 Premier League performances. Why, we're up to number six today. And it is this. Mares present two. Lifted in beyond Nakazaki and squeezed home! Robert Huth has scored for Leicester City inside two and a half minutes. What's the next line of this crazy, crazy tale? Why, Peter? It's Leicester City winning the Premier League title in 2016, of course. That was Robert Huth with the first of his goals in that game. Kante and Mares combined for a second for the Foxes. And then Huth made it three before Cunaguero with a late consolation for the battered citizens. Extraordinary. Who's scoring twice in a game? And everyone with that match, I think, really thinking it's on. Is that right, Duncan? Was that the moment? That was the moment because they'd lost to, to Arsenal just before and that was a potential wobble. Mm. Um, but to go to City and do that, I think that was the point everyone was like, this is the timeline we're actually in, that Leicester City are going to win the win the Premier League. And, Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Hey, this Saturday, Man City are going to be at the King Power hmm? for the Community Shield. Hurrah. Liverpool against Man City. Why the King Power? Does anybody know? Tim, do you know? Uh, I assume Wembley's, Wembley's out of action this weekend. Yeah. OK. But why But why the King Power? I don't know. I don't know. Don't know. Just why not? 
Well, no, Blow for Villa Park, isn't it? Usually has particularly good early season grass, I'd say. King Power, it's up there. Um, first, is that right? Yeah, I'd say Leicester groundsman, solid. But um, it's the first community slash charity shield in Leicester since 1971, oh. when Arsenal were the double holders. Just said ah, we don't fancy the charity shield. We're going on tour, so they invited Division Two champions Leicester to play Liverpool, and Liverpool lost. So maybe that's an omen. Interesting, interesting. I, I guess what interest there is in this community shield stems from the fact that it's Liverpool and Man City and they were so tight last year and everybody thinks it's going to be another duel between them this time around. Will you be troubling your remote for this or, or visiting a box park, Tim, for, for the Community Shield on Saturday? I, I do struggle to get excited about Community Shields. I mean, it's hard right. to recall many. Even one with hot new striker purchases like Erling Haaland and Darwin Nunez. We, you've fallen into the, the trap there of getting really excited about, it, about, about what will inevitably be a a one nil or one all draw, and it'll get to it'll get to it'll get to penalties. And yeah, I just I, I like the fact that it's at the King Power actually. It gives it mm-hmm. a bit of a different different dynamic because these games do end up being pretty sort of stale. I think that oh. there have been occasions in the past when there have sort of been sort of England select elevens or league select elevens that have taken part in the community mm-hmm. year. I'd, I'd I'd quite like something like that really to, to, Sorry, to play the league so- winners. So instead of having what uh, when it was like a, a, somebody done the double the previous season, they got them to face a combined eleven. I think that's that's the that's the one that I know of is when the first double win is Tottenham. I think they played a a league select eleven um, hmm. rather than the runners up, I mean, which sounds like a pretty fun idea. People have often talked about a sort of all stars, you know, North v South Premier League game. Maybe maybe this is a slot. I still think that scrap the Community Shield and have a league wide all twenty teams penalty shootout. Think that people will be tuning in for that. Extraordinary, Matt. Have you got any thoughts about the Community Shield, or should we just crack on? Um, well, I like that idea of the All Stars thing, but the managers would just never ever sanction yeah. it, would they? It's the <laughs> problem. Um, we can do without the Community Shield. I think. Like, who won it last year? No idea. Going to be one-one or nil-nil, like Tim said. Oh, well done on penalties. Uh, was it? It was, it was Leicester, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. So it. Is it at Leicester because Leicester won it then? Is, That's is right, that the end of Wembley's long reign as, as community right, yeah, winners. Yeah. Not, nice yeah. for the King Power to see some new signings, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, can't pretend that 45 minutes for Erling Haaland and 45 minutes for Darwin Nunez is going to get me off my seat. Duncan mentioned North v South. We, we ran a mm. sort of a series of imagined games in the Athletic a while back. I think there was a North v South. And there was also uh, very tall players versus very short players. <laughs> oh, OK. Who won? Um, we... we uh, I can't remember. Um, it was Adam Murray who wrote it, but I'd I'd, I'd watch that. Sandra Martinez straight into one of those teams as captain. <laughs> mm. Crikey! Well, anyway, that's happening. If you want to watch it on Saturday, uh, elsewhere in football, we mentioned last week Linfield of Northern Ireland, who were dreaming of Champions League football after beating last year's Euro darlings Bodo Glimt. 1-0 in the qualifiers for this season's Champions League. Tuesday, we had the second leg in the Arctic Circle. Didn't go so well for Linfield. Uh, they did a Roma on them, in fact. Bodo Glimt, 8-0, the final score. 8-1 on aggregate. Bodo Glimt goes through to, I think, another qualifying round. Oh, Tim, last week you were in Turin to see Paul Pogba's unveiling uh, at Juventus. Yeah, um, a very curious occasion. The, 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 the Pogba of... Turin is very different to, to the Pogba of Manchester. Uh, mm. You know, he's, he's happy, he smiles. You know, he cracks jokes with with journalists. Um, it was it was a very interesting press conference. 
possibly not smiling so much now after he picked up an injury to his knee uh, last Saturday with Juventus and is now weighing up surgery options with Juventus, the safest of which would keep him out for potentially five months. So a good chunk of the season for Juve and also the World Cup for France. They haven't decided which. I'm guessing they're calling it a pogperation. No, probably. Uh, anyway, they haven't decided which surgical approach to employ. Uh, but yeah, we'll keep across that one. Matt, you mentioned uh, viral video uh, introductions of new players in passing a short time ago, probably referring to Juventus, former Juventus player Paolo Dybala and his unveiling at Roma. Did you enjoy that? That was crazy. It, it took me a while to realise that it was just for him and they weren't yeah. celebrating something else and, and he was brought out as a, as a kind of um, dessert. But yeah, I mean, way to heat pressure on him. I guess. He, he looked yeah. kind of like, at the, the start, he was kind of like, oh, this is nice. And then mm, we've been out here quite a while. There really are quite a lot of people. Um, yeah. I felt for him a little bit, to be honest. What a building behind him, though. The, uh, the, the, the what was it? The, the, the Palace of Italian uh, Civilization, to give it a very bad translation. Uh, famous, of course, from the, the Nike advert. Do you remember the kind of Kendo, Edgar Davids, Bushido? Yeah. It was it was strange though, wasn't it? Because he was sort of sat down with his arms around his knees, like you might sit waiting for a bus at four a.m. or something. And, right. And yeah, there were like thousands and thousands <laughs> of people just worshiping. It was a it's a nice little contrast. Excellent. And uh, another new signing on the way because I think Genie One Aldum is uh, set to join uh, Dybala and the kind of coterie of former Premier League stars now at Jose Mourinho's side. Matic there, Tammy Abraham, of course, Chris Smalling. Still holding out hope that Chris Ronaldo will make the move before transfer window ends. It's a story that's got to happen. Uh, meantime, I don't want to go to Chelsea news. Uh, the Blues about to be gazumped to the uh, signing of yet another player by broke-ass broke Barcelona. Matt, what's going on? Rafinha first, now Jules Koundé of Sevilla. Yeah, it feels like the Kunde thing's been going on for too long for it to result in him actually signing for Chelsea. So kind of not that surprising here. But um, it's interesting because we there was a piece on the uh, on the Athletic last week about how pre-season had been so serene for Chelsea so far and how unusual it was. And then they get smashed 4-0 by Arsenal at the weekend. And um, Thomas Tuchel basically says he needs a load of new players and to ship some out. So it doesn't feel like it's uh, particularly... Uh, happy camp at the moment they could definitely do with a couple more in who those people are going to be I'm not so sure but we are going to go deep into that on Straight Out of Cobham the Chelsea podcast from The Athletic which will be recording once I'm finished here so okay. I'll say listen to that to get a, a full overview from people more informed than me Brilliant Straight Out of Cobham out shortly wherever they're looking for players it won't be from Burnley probably because they're already gone I think all of them uh, Tarkovsky had gone to Everton uh, ben Mee, of course, Brentford. Dwight McNeil's now joined Tarkovsky at Goodison. Oh, sorry, Duncan. No, I was just going to say, it feels like a slightly risky um, strategy from Frank Lampard to like have Sean Dyche out of work, recreate his team at, at Everton um, and possibly get off to a bad start. But yeah, we'll see. It's an interesting move. A lot of Everton supporters really excited by uh, McNeil's arrival. Uh one yeah, assist, I'm... no goals in 38 Premier League well, games last season. He had, 50, he had 52 shots without scoring, which was the most of any player in the league, which I know you could spin either way. Um, Jamie Vardy only had two more shots and apparently scored 15 goals, although I refuse to accept <laughs> that happened. Right, OK. On the, on the face of it, you know, you've got a squad that was almost relegated and then you've, 
you brought in two players who, who were relegated, you know, mm. to, 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 to bolster that squad. But no, they're, they're very much going down a sort of a domestic strategy, Tarkovsky, McNeil. They've had a tickle for Morgan, Morgan Gibbs-White from Wolves as well. Um, the director of football there, Kevin Thelwell, was at Wolves for more than a decade. So I think he's, you know, bringing in players that he sort of knows and trusts. And um, yeah, you can see it's been a part of a wider strategy to sort of bring bring a bit of calm to that dressing room, I think. I see. Ruben Vinagre also on his way from Wolves to Goodison. Is that right? Yeah. So um, yeah, he was he was back up left back at Wolves for a while, and then mostly back up left back at at, at Sporting last season. If I, I'm, I'm amazed he's gone to Everton Vinagre because he was um, busy uh, completing George Mendes' bingo, um, of having started his career at Monaco, then joined Wolves and then Sporting. So um, Valencia were, were were waiting in the wings to snap him up, but for some reason he's gone to Everton. Mm-hmm. Well, wishing the best there. Speaking of Wolves, possibly the reason for Matt's gloomy prognostications on their front, Raul Jimenez is going to be out for eight weeks after a knee injury suffered in a friendly with Besiktas. He was their top scorer last season. What kind of numbers are we talking, Duncan, for him to be top scorer? Uh, only six goals, which was six the, goals. the lowest top scorer. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Will they miss him, Tim? Because he was a bit hit and miss. Actually, obviously came coming back from that bad injury, but certainly in terms of a focal point, I mean they haven't they haven't got a striker now. Basically, going into the season uh, with Jimenez injured and and having loaned Fabio Silva, the thirty five million pound man or boy, to Anderlecht for the season. Although Silva failed to score for the whole of last season, and and Jimenez only scored six, as Duncan says. So. The news might not be as disastrous as, as it as it sort of first may look, but yeah, the interesting things about Wolves this year is um, after five years of three four three, they've they've finally ditched that formation and gone four at the back, which they're now sort of training exclusively with. Um, it's looked pretty good in pre-season; they scored quite a few goals, but it's a, it's 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 a risky strategy because they've had such a solid defence for a number of years now, um, but they've only averaged a goal a game basically in the last two seasons. It's been absolutely turgid which has nothing at all to do with me um, ditching them this summer um, mm. but yeah they, they may become quite interesting to watch again now Right well Burnley though touched on them a short time ago how are they going to fare this season with the new company in charge of the club Vincent company of course uh, we'll be touching on that and the other big stories about to uh, begin as the Football League swings back into action this Friday next on the Totally Football Show On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. And let's not forget that Gianluca Scamacca has now arrived in the Premier League, introduced right. um, with a very niche video on West Ham's official uh, account, worth checking out. Um, I'm officially transferring my big man love from Valt Veghorst to Scamacca. Are you? Um, Did you like yeah. him? Yeah. Do like him? He, he only scored three headed goals in Serie A last season, which is the same as Raheem Sterling did in the Premier League, despite being nearly a foot shorter. So well, he's, got to, he's got to adapt airily to our league, but I'm looking forward to see how he does it. Excellent. All right. what, a nice, what a nice young man he was when I had the, uh, the opportunity to meet him on Tuesday. Good luck. Hey, in less than a fortnight, if you'd like to... Enjoy uh, the meeting Jimbo experience, as Gianluca did on Tuesday. You can if you come along to The Lowry in Manchester. August 9th, we'll be there doing a totally football show live. 
reacting to the first weekend of the season and previewing the rest of it, the important stuff. Tickets, well, you can find those at thelowry.com. The lineup is uh, Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander, and Julian Laurence. Crikey. Looking forward to that, Duncan. Very much so. Me too. Kaz B says, here's a comment, and it's a bit random, but I feel it's important. It's good to see Sebastian Allaire's prognosis is good. He's had successful surgery after the uh, the well, tumour was found in his testicles. Uh, prognosis is good, as Casby says, although he faces a few months out. Hope the pod can use its platform and this story to encourage its male listeners to check themselves. I'm doing it now to detect anything nefarious nice and early. Kaz, you're absolutely right. Friday night, the EFL returns, and not before time. Matt, first year you don't have to pay attention to this because Forrester yeah, in, in lots of ways, yeah. Well, in <laughs> lots of ways, but the you know because Forrester up, that's what I mean. But you've been really kind and prepared a little checklist of some of the big kind of like a spotter's card of some of the stories to to look out for, and one of the most eye catching features in the game, which kicks everything off Friday evening as Vincent Company's Burnley travel to Huddersfield. Ooh. Yeah, we've mentioned uh, the, the losses that Burnley have had. It's not just Tarkovsky and, and Dwight McNeil, but Ben Mee, carbon neutrality's Ben Mee, of course, Nick Pope having gone to Newcastle and, and Veghorst, much to Duncan's chagrin. So it's a mm-hmm. big change around for, for company to manage. But actually, he probably, I wouldn't say he would prefer that, but it might benefit him in some ways in that, you know, those players that we've just mentioned have been there for years and years, used to, to one way of playing, might be a bit easier to get his ideas over. But, you know, if it's not easy for him to get his ideas over and there's some resistance to it, just set his assistant Craig Bellamy on them, I guess. And then Ooh. maybe the players will become a little more malleable. Perhaps. Perhaps so. Huddersfield, uh, Bernie's opponents on Friday evening, are also under new management. Uh, in dramatic circumstances, is that fair, Matt? Um, yeah, certainly at the time it was a big surprise Carlos Corbrem resigned. Obviously they got to the playoff final last season, which which was a surprise in and of itself. They had been tipped for relegation before the start of last season. Danny Schofield taking over, uh, who was previously working there. They've... they've They've fostered a good relationship with Chelsea and with a lot of other clubs, um, actually, in terms of getting loan players. And they've signed Tino Andrin on loan from Chelsea for the season. He's a really talented uh, midfield player. So there's a there's a chance that they might be able to to come again. But you'd be surprised if they made it to the playoff final um, once more. But I do think we might see a bit more of an interesting championship this season because I'm not massively certain that any of the relegated teams Ooh. are going to steamroller the league as has been the way in in recent seasons right yeah Watford Burnley and Norwich you don't see any of them necessarily heading straight back up who who do you think is likely to do a Fulham this time around uh, I like Middlesbrough because I think Chris Wilde is a really good manager and the big issue for them last season was that their goalkeeper uh, was prone to errors and he's left and they brought Zach Steffen in on loan uh, from Man City for the season, which you, you would think would help with that. Um, but yeah, Chris Wilder is, knows what it takes to get out of the championship and, and the fact that he's had a full pre-season, which he didn't when he took over midway through last season. But it's pretty open. you know. I mean, it, maybe Watford, Burnley and Norwich will, will surprise me, but in terms of Watford, they've got a manager who's only in his second season in the EFL, never mind uh, having never managed in the championship before. And, and Norwich didn't, 
do very well. What forgive their manager's time though, Matt? That's fine. That's true. It? Yeah, at least he's got that luxury. He knows if he doesn't win the first six games, everything will be fine. I mean, they're they're at pains to say that that is what they are doing this season, but it just feels impossible to to believe it, doesn't it? So yeah, mm. Middlesbrough, my tip. Look out for Coventry as well. I, I like Coventry. They, they've got a really good okay. manager in Mark Robbins. They, they could have a push for the playoffs. They're going to be visiting in the opening weekend's fixture list uh, Sunderland, who are back in the second tier. Well done, then. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think Sunderland could do quite well this season. All they, right. They've got that bit of momentum. Um, you know, the, the point of an actually good manager for once is in mid-season, um, Alex Neal. And, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to go up a division, but I think they've probably got an outside chance of the playoffs. Okay. I was at the League One player final. In fact, I was in the, I was in the Wicker Men, Duncan, in... Um, Good in man. May, which was an enjoyable experience, but the, just the, the scale and the passion of uh, Sunderland support was just ridiculous. That noise when they scored the second goal was arguably the, the noise, biggest noise I've ever heard at a football game. It was like a kind of medieval army massing, but wow. Mm. I do. Matt's right about the the sort of unpredictability of the championship this year because it has, it has become a, a bit a bit predictable really in the last few years. I mean, if 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 Norwich don't get eighty five points and Team Apuki scores 25 goals, it will, hmm. it will be really quite disconcerting. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, anything else we should be keeping our eye on? Uh, oh, Derby. How, how are they looking as they begin their first season in the third tier since 1985? Yeah, I think it's slightly strange that they haven't appointed Liam Rossini as the permanent manager. He's been hmm. the he's the interim manager and it kind, it's kind of see how you get on for the first few games. But He's so highly rated as a coach. He was there all of last season. Uh, it feels a little bit disrespectful to him. It's not like it's a, a massively appealing job for, for high-calibre managers at the moment. So interesting to see how he starts. They they play Oxford uh, to kick off. Oxford went close to the playoffs last season. Very settled squad and good, manager good there. Team, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, Derby have got Forrest to come to Pride Park the week before Christmas. Uh, Forest Green Rovers, of course. Um, so that's something for them to look forward to. <laughs> Derby've been going for a very like bank managers open the checkbook. Let's see who we can sign. Approach There's quite a lot of players in their late twenties on presumably quite high wages, which you know on paper should get them fairly high in League One. But as many teams have found, the, the top half of League One is incredibly well matched. Um, I think it's like remember what the first division was like in the eighties, where you could have a team that would come up like Millwall and and, and do quite well and. The top half of League One is where that that scene now now lies, really. So um, right. you can have teams, even teams as small as Accrington, really sort of you know outplaying big clubs. That said, I still think Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday are the, are the two favourites to to go up. Modest of you not to include Wickham Wanderers in that, of course. Beaten. We need a goalkeeper. I'm I'm a yeah. traditionalist, so yeah, sign one of those and we might finish a bit higher. Excellent. Any other talking points? Yeah, so Jake Daniels might be one to watch uh, in the Championship. Obviously, he made headlines at the end of last season for, for coming out as gay. Uh, but I saw him in the FA Youth Cup quarterfinal at Stamford Bridge last season and he was absolutely amazing. He scored after five minutes and he totally bullied Chelsea's defenders. But Blackpool have got a new manager, um, slightly strangely, Neil Critchley left to become Steven Gerrard's assistant. Uh, so Michael Appleton is the manager of Blackpool for the second time and he was really pivotal in Brennan Johnson's development when he had him at Lincoln in League One a couple of years ago on loan and he's a player who does a a lot for young players likes working with them so Daniels might get a a decent go he did make an appearance in the Championship late on last season but he could definitely be um, 
be one to watch. And, and yeah, in, in League Two, will Wimbledon wear their new away kit, I suppose, is the big question. Right. Tell us about the new away kit, Matt. So they they uh, released this earlier this week. So their home colours are kind of the traditional light blue that you would associate with, you know, Wimbledon 1988 crazy gang kind of thing. But they've brought out a darker blue number uh, to be their away kit to much internet opprobrium um, but it turns out they say that they are going to keep that kit for two seasons as their away kit and then in the third season it's going to flip to being their third kit so hmm. you will get some use out of it if you buy one um, they're having a red third kit this season but I mean it's beautiful it's, it's the other thing to say it's it's such a stunning shade of blue um, football manager sponsor in gold I think it's really really nice and it's one of those it's more of a, a like a collector's kit for ageing nerds like me rather than something that they're actually going to wear week in week out on the road well talking of which we could be looking at a, a, a better season for shirt sponsors we talked about Burnley obviously they're now sponsored by classic football shirts as well mm-hmm. so um, we do see a bit you know slightly more palatable businesses creeping their way back onto, onto shirts remember when the Totally Football Show sponsored his side Roy of the Rovers Melchester Melchester United oh yeah that's it? right yeah 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 Roy of the Rovers hmm Tim, you excited for the football league's return? I was just going to say about the um, the uh, the Wimbledon kit. I, th- I think we've had far too many blue on blue debates this summer. <laughs> mm. Nice, very nice. Well, there you go. That's where we'll wrap it up for today's totally football show. There is football that's going to be played, and on Monday we'll be back to talk about that Community Shield, the big final at Wembley, football league, all that sort of thing. Should also flag up that Tuesday we'll be recording a big Premier League season preview because that's getting going in, as I mentioned before, eight days from the time of recording this. So look out for that, an extra Totally Football Show next week. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Duncan and Tim and Matt, producer Charlie and you, listener. Have a great weekend. We'll speak to you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.